teaching this morning. Good to see you all. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Crosswinds. Uh, we have one more week in this kind of mini-series on the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we're going to look at another parable this morning, and then next week uh, we are starting uh, a series on the book of Revelation, uh, which if you know anything about the Bible, that's how the Bible ends. It's kind of crazy, uh, and it should be a lot of fun over uh, uh, the next period of time. Uh, maybe you think you know the book well. Uh, there might be some surprises along the way. So uh, really looking forward to that. We're uh, going to be looking at a parable in Matthew chapter 20 this morning. I want to give some uh, setting about what is going on in this passage and how we get to Jesus telling this parable. So we are going to start in Matthew chapter 19, uh, verse 20. Three. We'll read to the end of the chapter there. Uh, so you can either read it up there or on your uh, uh, Bible app, or uh, there's Bibles in the pews as well. So uh, uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, just to give you some setting for this, uh, Jesus has just talked to a rich young man who approached him about being a, a follower of Jesus, of being his disciple. Jesus says, okay, you can do that. Just sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Uh, that guy had a little trouble doing that, and he walked away sad. And this is what Jesus says as that guy is walking away. Verse 23, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's pretty intense there. It's difficult for rich people. And it says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children's or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Okay. So you have Jesus dropping the bomb that it's going to be hard for rich people to get into the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples are like, what? How can that be? Like, for them, if you rank people, rich people, eh, they're ranked pretty high. So you would imagine that they've been blessed. So why wouldn't they be blessed in the next life? And Jesus said it's actually going to be quite difficult. But with God, all things are possible. And then Peter goes, whoa, so if they're in trouble, and I've left everything I have, I left my job, I left my family, and I followed you around, what am I going to get? And Jesus says, everyone who leaves all that will receive a hundredfold. They'll be blessed beyond 
belief in the kingdom of heaven. And they'll inherit eternal life. And then he drops uh, this cryptic saying. Many who are first will be last and the last first. And it's kind of confusing. What does that mean? Many who are first will be last and the last first. Uh, I thought the first were first and the last were last. But Jesus says, ah, it doesn't always work out that way. Uh, sometimes the last are first and the first are last. See, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the way God operates operates a lot differently than the way we assume things should operate. And he tells a parable to tell that story. So parables are stories uh, that represent uh, uh, truths and communicate truths about God and his kingdom. So uh, we are going to read that passage now. Uh, so it kind of starts out with that cryptic saying that we just read, many who are first will be last and the last first. And uh, take notice how the parable ends. Uh, and you'll see that that phrase is significant. So Matthew 20, uh, verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Going about out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in scorching heat. But he replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. So this parable is kind of startling if you haven't heard it before. And it starts with that phrase, the first will be the last and the last first, and then it ends with a cryptic saying that's reversed, so the last will be first and the first last. It flips it. In the beginning it says it one way, end says it both ways. The parable in the middle is explaining what that means. So let, let's work through that. Uh, basically, the parable comes in three parts. So you start out with the hiring. Uh, basically, uh, uh, the workday at that time would have gone from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So uh, that's a pretty good shift, 12 hours uh, from sun up uh, to basically around the time sun is going down. And so they would work that, those 12 hours uh, pretty standard. So when it says he went out at the beginning of the day, he's going out at 6 a.m. and hiring people. Like early bird gets the worm type people. They're there. Uh, they're probably hanging out at a particular spot in town where day laborers hung out. So uh, you'll still see that in, in our day. 
uh, that in certain towns, especially where uh, they're looking for laborers on their farm just for a day, uh, people will hang out in a certain part of town. Uh, the workers will come by, hey, I'm looking for this many workers, and they will recruit them, take them out, and then uh, basically give them work. Uh, he agreed that to work for a denarius a day. So the 6 a.m. crowd, and he goes, I'll give you a denarius. And they said, we agree. Denarius is about a day's wage. It's a fair wage for a day. And then it says he went out uh, the third hour, which if you're counting from 6 a.m. would be 9 a.m. So three hours later, get some more people. Uh, it says he goes out uh, three hours later, and then three hours after that, goes out at noon and 3 p.m., and then uh, what gets kind of surprising is it says he hires someone at the 11th hour. If, you, if you're good at math, what would the 11th hour be if you're counting from 6 a.m.? 5 p.m. So he's been going out, gathering all the workers all day long, uh, and then you have the 5 p.m. crowd. Now, it doesn't say why they were still there. They say, no one's hired us. Now, was it because they didn't show up earlier in the day? Is it, is it because they were sleeping? Because they were uh, being lazy? Because they were just hanging out? I don't know. Or maybe they're like the people who are last picked for your kickball team. Like, imagine being the person work. Uh, 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 people hiring you, employers are coming by all day long. And they're like, hey, you, you come work in my vineyard. Hey, you, you come work on my farm. Hey, I got a job for you. And you're sitting there, please pick me. And no one picks you. Now, uh, you may not have had that experience, and I'd like to say I never did. But believe it or not, I was not picked early in the kickball games in elementary school. I know, shocking. This is a confession time. It is painful for me to share this and probably shocking for you. You held me up. Wow, Dave is so athletic, he, he probably dominated kickball. I did not. And I remember those nervous moments where you're coming down. It, it's either me or the weird dude. Please do not pick me after that weird guy. And what happens? I usually got picked before the weird guy, just so we're clear. But then, you know, you get down to that last person, ever been in that situation where they get down to that last person, and they decide, I'd rather not even have that person on my team. You can have an extra player than take it. That's the 5 p.m. crowd. Whatever happened, whether they were just lazy and did not show up for work, they only have an hour left in the workday, and they're like hanging out there at the place to get hired. So either they're the last to get picked, and they've been there all day, which you're like, man, I kind of feel sorry for them, or they're just like lazy. <laughs> And they didn't show up. They slept in, hung out. So yeah, that's the hiring. He basically goes out over and over again, 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., and he even goes out 5 p.m. By the time the guy got back to the vineyard, probably barely had to do any work. Okay, so that, that's the first section. Second section is the paying. So uh, your payday comes, which comes at the end of the day. They gather everyone up there. Uh, they get the most recent worker, the, the guys who only worked uh, from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. So uh, not very impressive work. They're probably thinking, I'm probably not going to even make enough to feed my family. 
And what does the, the employer do? He gives a full day's wage. He gives a denarius to this guy. And then it doesn't really mention, but it's assumed that all those guys that got hired in the middle, uh, 3 p.m., noon, and 9 a.m., they all come up, get paid the same exact thing, and then you get to the, the beginning of the day guy, the guy who's been there since 6 a.m., the guy who's worked 12 hours. He's probably got giant uh, sweat stains all over her shirt. His back's probably slightly sore. He's got dirt mixed in with the sweat. He's probably chafing a little bit, if you've ever... <laughs> He's probably uncomfortable. <laughs> like, he is not... He is like, man, I put in a good day's work. I can't wait it to get home. And I know I agreed to a denarius, but have you seen what those other guys got that didn't work as hard as I did? So he gets up there, and he gets a day's wage. He gets a denarius. It's the amount he agreed to in the beginning. So part one, the hiring. Part two, the paying. And part three, uh, somebody's got a complaint. So what's he say? And on receiving it, verse 11, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? So if you were in that situation, you can probably imagine, you're like, wait, this is not fair. I have worked all day long, and I get the same amount as the guy who barely worked an hour. It's like when you work a, a, a work day here at church and you've been working since everyone got here and someone shows up and it's like, well, you're having pizza. I might as well join in. So I know none of you would have done that, but I'm like, I have some righteous indignation at that point. I'm like, I earned the pizza. What did you do? So we get that. We would be in the same boat. If we got the amount we agreed on, but everybody else got the same amount. What the? What is going on? There was recently a company which paid everybody in the company the same amount, and people were like outraged by it, and then it turned out the company didn't work out well. But everyone gets upset when things are equal. People are always, oh man, people get upset. It's a constant thing. If you've been on social media, anytime people talk about uh, equality like this, people get upset. So owner says, I've done you no wrong. Verse 14, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So basically, he's like, I can do with my stuff what I want. If I want to pay people a full day's wage, I can do that. Uh, or do you begrudge my generosity? He's basically, I'm just being generous, and you have a problem with it. We're going to get dig into why he has a problem. And then he ends, so the last will be first, and the first last. So what's this parable trying to communicate? Well, let's first start 
with the main point of the parable. The main point is that God is represented by the owner of the vineyard. And God is gracious. Gracious beyond compare. The landowner doesn't just go out once and grab a crowd of people and put them to work. The landowner goes out over and over and over again. All day long, he's making trips into getting more workers. That is a picture of the grace of God. The grace of God that gets more and more people and brings them in to his team to work in his vineyard. And, and just think about that 5 p.m. guy. Why would you hire a guy for one hour? Why would you take the trouble of going out to the place where everyone's hanging out, hire those guys, last to be picked for the kickball team, whatever they were, the lazy, the last picked, whoever they are, and take them and then put them to work for that short period of time. It's a picture of the overabundance. The quite, that doesn't quite make sense, grace of God. It goes above and beyond all things. He continues to go out all day long, and he gladly gives full membership to the last picked. Like, th those guys, you would have gotten their resume, and you would have said, not a chance. Like, everything is misspelled on their resume. Uh, they just skipped over things. I don't want to fill that out. Uh, the work history is about... Uh, uh, three years long of uh, one month each employment at different places all over. And you're like, man, I would never hire this person ever. The worker, the, the employer in this parable goes out and hires those people. And it's really shocking. It's really gracious. And it comes down to at the end, he says, do you begrudge my generosity? Because this God chooses to bless people who showed up last the same as who showed up first. God does what he chooses. It's an overabundance of grace. Really? You worked an hour and you get paid for a full day? That is the main point we must take from this, that our human way of operating is not God's way of operating. God's way of operating brings grace into the mix and it unsettles everything. I think there's, uh, I don't know if it's a, a song, but it says, uh, grace has colored all I see. That as you dig into the faith, as you follow Jesus more, grace will change how you see everything. It will change how you see different situations. It will see how you see the social world, the economic world, the religious world. It will change how you see everything. And Jesus disrupts everything with that grace. There is nothing his grace does not. It changes everything. Our, uh, our culture, uh, uh, especially here in America, functions uh, what some have called a meritocracy. A meritocracy is that those who are, how do I put it? It's a system in which the talented are chosen and moved ahead on a basis of their achievement. In other words, uh, ability plus effort 
equals success. So you hear that all the time. If you work hard, if you have the right skills, you will get ahead. Now, there's definitely truth in that, isn't there? I'm not going to tell anyone who's looking to make a success or willing to make something of their life, hey, you can skip the whole working hard thing and developing skills. Like, that is true. But it's not the whole picture, is it? Uh, statistic after statistic show that what family you have been born into, what neighborhood you have grown up in, affect whether you will achieve things in your life. It isn't, the, it isn't across the board, but it's not the whole story when you say people are advanced based on merit and merit alone. There are a number of factors that affect us, that influence us, that impact us. Unfortunately, in our country, uh, ethnicity has played into that, where statistics show that just because you are the most skilled, just because you work the hardest, that doesn't always mean you get advanced. And they talk about this regarding ethnicity. They talk about it regarding gender. But I bring that up to say that we live in what people call a meritocracy. You are advanced based on your merit. And I want to use that term, meritocracy, to discuss how actually human life functions, how we look at each other. We look at each other and rank each other based on what we see as the merit of the other person. We look at ourselves and rank ourselves based on our merit. And what human rankings do is we attribute worth and value to other people based on how we rank them. Based on, and this is key, a comparative ranking. So we don't, rankings aren't just out there. We don't just rank people in order of importance and worth and value. We are always comparing ourselves to other people. Uh, how, do, how do we rank people? Uh, let's see. Well, the obvious one is income, how much money you make. You are worth more. And we don't just say they're worth more because they have more money. We actually think that if you have more in your bank account, you are of more value and more worth. Now, we wouldn't say that, but that's how humans rank each other. We rank each other according to how much money you make, what kind of job you have, uh, what kind of neighborhood you're from. Uh, interesting thing, drive around the city and uh, you drive through one neighborhood and you're like, holy smokes, these are houses that are really nice. And then you just cross one street and then you're like, holy smokes, we're in a, a neighborhood that is ranked lower than that one. You can see it as you go. Uh, a while back, uh, someone insulted my neighborhood and called it some nasty names. I was rightly offended by this. But then... A week or so later, it came up in a conversation, and someone goes, you know where that guy lives? And they told me where he lived, and I'm what? I was outraged, because I'm like, what? My neighborhood is way better than that. Like, I'm not going to say it, because it would incriminate me and how I'm a judging uh, ranker of neighborhoods, but I'm like, what? Like, my neighborhood is superior to his. So don't just think, well, I like, 
I like neighborhoods that are poorer, so I'm off the hook. No, there's not just one ranking out there for how we think. We, we may go, well, I like my neighborhood, not like those pretentious people over there in that neighborhood. Or we may pick something else that we're like, oh, I don't like people that live in those places. We all have our own rankings. We may be like, well, I'm not looking down on anyone because I'm pretty much the poorest person I know. Uh, well, you may be ranking it differently. You may rank it like, at least I'm not as pretentious as those people. Like, so we all have rankings. We can rank people according to their cool factor. Uh, that sounds middle school, but it still happens all the time. Well, I'm cooler. I'm more in. I, I know what's going on. We rank people according to attract, attractiveness. Uh, we rank people according to ethnicity. Uh, we rank people according to success. How much have you made of yourself in this life? I am better than you because of that. What a, religious history. Like, you're a part of a church, and maybe you show up to everything. Like, anytime the doors open, you show up. And you're like awesome at reading your Bible every day. And you're awesome at any, you post like the perfect amount of Christian stuff on Facebook. Like way better than those other people. They, they don't even show up every Sunday. They don't read their, I don't see any Christian memes on their Facebook. Like in any number of ways we can rank ourselves as better. We're doing this constantly in any number of ways that we are saying, I am better than this person or that person's better than me. We've all felt that. We've all felt you might be in a certain community, a certain store, and you're like, well, this is far beyond who I am. I'm like, these people are more of more worth or value than I am. I don't belong here. Or maybe we think about a moral track record. Like, I can remember uh, when I was young going, well, I am way better than that person. Like, I am just better than them. Because have you seen all the things that they do? Or maybe it actually comes down to criminal record. I don't have a criminal record. You do. So therefore, I'm better than you. There are any number of ways that we rank each other. And it's comparative ranking. So it's always, where am I compared to other people? In any number of these categories. But here's what happens. The kingdom of heaven shows up and all of our human rankings expire. Like when God's kingdom is established and comes to earth, there is an expiration date on ranking people. You will no longer be able to rank people according to wealth, according to their job, according to their neighborhood, according to the amount of success they have, according to their moral track record. That's shocking. Wait, when the kingdom of God comes, you can't rank people according to their moral track record? It's shocking to us. We're like, what? But if they've done more bad stuff than I have, isn't, what that, isn't that what it's all about? It's instant equality. 
instant human rankings are gone. And here's why. Because grace enters the system and it blows it up. And because we talked about this last week, that the kingdom of heaven is both already here, it's like a mustard seed, and it hasn't fully come yet, that means if you follow Jesus, human rankings where we are constantly comparing ourselves, those have expired. Any attributing worth to people based on any number of those things we have talked about, that expires. It is done for us. We are now in a grace soaked world where all human rankings have expired. And if you're banking on one of those human rankings, if you're banking on, oh, I'm banking on my coolness or my attractiveness or my my job or the neighborhood I live in, if you're banking on any of those for your worth and value, Part of what this parable is saying is you are in for a surprise when the kingdom of God comes. Because in the mind of Peter, if you had a lot of money, that means you were ranked first. But in comes Jesus to say it's going to be very hard for rich people to enter heaven. And Peter's like, no, rich people are ranked first. What's going on? What is happening here? And Jesus says, the first will be last and the last first. So even if you are ranked high in any of these human rankings, Jesus is saying don't take any of those rankings for granted. Because there's coming a time where even if you are ranked first or higher in any of those categories, that it's, there comes a time where it could be flipped. Where the first will be last and the last first. He who dies with the most toys wins until you enter the kingdom of heaven and it gets flipped. How many toys you have doesn't matter. All of those human rankings expire because of grace. Think about what happens right before right before this parable. We talked about the rich man. The story that happens right before that is about children. Children coming to Jesus. And all the parents are, oh, Jesus is here. Let's bring the kids to Jesus. So, so they try to bring them. Disciples are like, hey, hey, hey. Don't, don't waste Jesus' time with little kids. Don't waste Jesus' time. Jesus is very important. He's got a lot of things on his schedule. He doesn't have time to be cuddling with your little Doesn't have time to be kissing any babies on the forehead. Doesn't have time to be talking goo-goo gaga. Jesus is important. He has value and worth. Kids, not much. Uh, one time I went on a mission trip to Ireland, and I was really excited. I'm like, we're going to tell people about Jesus. We're going to going to engage the Irish people. And you know what they had me doing the whole time? Working with kids. And I'm like, I'm much more important than that. Why do I have to work with the children's? But Jesus doesn't function like we do. 
the rich man, the rich young man, like this is a young entrepreneur. This is a guy probably very attractive, probably driving the fastest chariot around. Uh, probably like he is, he is awesome. He is the guy that everyone looks up to. And the disciples are like, we get that guy on our team. Sweet. Jesus, Don't mess this up. Let's get that guy. And Jesus says, if you sell everything you have and give it to the poor, you can be a part of this. And the guy walks away. But you know who the disciples tried to get to walk away? The children. Little children. And we would go, well, it makes sense. Jesus is important, doesn't really have time to be hanging out with toddlers. But Jesus says, in the kingdom of heaven, things are flipped. In the kingdom of heaven, there is instant equality. All the ways we attribute worth and value to other individuals Jesus doesn't play in that system. Jesus doesn't work in that. He just destroys it with grace. And he says, children are first. And the rich young dude is last. It unsettles everything. Uh, I want you to imagine this for an illustration. Uh, Imagine a year from now, you have worked really hard, you have labored, and you have made a lot of money. You have gotten a nice house on a lake or something with the nicest boat, whatever boat you want, a motorcycle, car. You have worked hard, and you have achieved a lot. In a year from now, President Bernie Sanders, I am not a prophet, if you are trying to interpret anything on what I think his positions are or whether I endorse those positions, you are wasting your time. It's just an illustration, okay, people? Okay, so a year from now, President Bernie Sanders goes, everybody should be equal. And he then gets the laziest, worst guy that you know. Think of that person. I, I know we're saying you should people, but I know you do. So... Think of that laziest person who has no good work track record, has no education, has not done anything with his life. He has everything is messed up about. He's like, that's about the worst guy I know. Like, he would be ranked lowest for you. And Bernie says, you get a house just like that guy. And you get a boat and a motorcycle and a car. How do you feel about that? Do you like that? Do you think that's fair? Okay. Now imagine the day Jesus comes back and he sets up his kingdom and he gives you your house. Who do you not want to be your neighbor? Who do you think it would be unfair if they were your neighbor? Living next to you, Equally blessed as you. Who do you not want to see? Who do you think, Jesus, this is, this is unfair. Look at what I've done. Look at how I've labored. And this guy, this guy, did you see what he did with his life? But he's your neighbor in the kingdom. And he is equally blessed as you. And we 
if we're honest, would complain when that day comes. We would be like, this is not fair. Have you seen how much church work I've done? Have you seen how I've invested in your kingdom? And then some guy who did whatever he wanted all his life came in at the end and said, hey, I'm on my deathbed. I need to get things right with God. And he's my neighbor? Have you seen what? And he's equally blessed? Or any number of other people. Who would you be shocked to have as your neighbor? Grace is that shocking. You think about the people of that day. Who was complaining about the way Jesus was talking about the kingdom? You had the Pharisees, the religious people. They're like, they were in a Bible study like every day of the week. The people who were very serious. Let's make sure we follow everything in the Bible as best as we can. Had a very good religious track record. Uh, had very good religious attendance. They did everything they could to be really good. And Jesus shows up and says, you know who's entering the kingdom of heaven before you? Sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors. And the Pharisees are outraged. They're like, we have put in time and energy and you have made us equal with them. And you're saying they're in before us? What is going on? Or you imagine in the early church, the Jewish people had been God's people for years and years and years, and they have been through so much. And then after Jesus rises from the dead, a vision comes to Peter, says, you need to welcome in the Gentiles. Imagine the feelings. Wait, they're going to be equal with us? We have been God's people forever and now you're saying we are in one body with them and they are equal to us? Or imagine in any church at any time, the people who have invested long and hard on making that church a great community, uh, a, a place that cares for those who are hurting. Uh, they have labored through the hard times and the good times. They have faced so much, and in comes some new folks, and everything changes. The dynamics change. They, attentions change. Programs change. The feel of everything changes. And the veterans can be resentful. Say, what? I've been here forever. Who are you to change things? I've been here forever who are you that barely has your act together to change things? But Jesus says there is instant equality, equal blessedness. All our human rankings have expired. It doesn't take long uh, to go on Facebook or social media and see that people get upset about things talking about equality. You hear things like, I worked hard and have earned what I have. Why should the lazy and irresponsible get a free ride? So I think the key thing we get mad about is people getting what they haven't earned. We earn things and other people are getting free stuff and we've worked hard. 
and it's not fair. So you see a million different memes of that if you're on social media where people complain, I've worked really hard and now that person is getting a free ride and they haven't done anything. And the interesting thing about that is that we're, we always compare. It's not just like, hey, lazy people over there, let's just talk about them. It's often, I have done this, those people haven't done anything. It often mentions, I'm working hard so all these people can live on welfare. So conversations like that. People say, if you don't base it on merit, if you just give people stuff, you give them too much grace and then they'll just do whatever. Now, obviously, those are important conversations to have around how the government functions, about welfare, about if there needs to be any reforms. But I'm not really interested in that subject now. I'm not interested in talking about socialism. I'm not interested in talking about how welfare should work. What I'm interested in is our heart attitudes when we're talking about those people. Because they're those people. And we rank ourselves higher. And we lump groups in and label them with derogatory names. So this isn't so whatever side you are on in those debates, I don't really care right now. But what I do want to address is are you ranking people? Are you looking down on people? Are you saying other people don't have worth or value? And as Christians, our entire faith is built on People getting what they haven't earned. Our entire faith is built on people getting things that they have not earned. And you see from responses that people getting things they haven't earned gets us mad, which gets us to the heart of the complaint in this parable. They didn't earn that. I've worked hard. We are uncomfortable with unfair, you might even say unjust equality. But the kingdom of heaven functions on grace. So we become more and more comfortable with grace. We become more more comfortable with people getting what they haven't earned, because it's the entire basis of your relationship with God. As we think about that, we say, I have worked hard, and you haven't. That he, in this parable, the guy's like, I've worked all day. But even the gift of a job is grace. Even the opportunity to show up there at 6 a.m. was grace. Even the welcome of God is grace. We are on equal ground at the foot of the cross because we have all been welcomed by grace and we get it twisted if we say, well, I worked hard and that person's just getting grace because it's about grace. You have received grace. Your standing 
God and as a part of the family of God is because of grace. Any merit you want to attribute to yourself doesn't count. Any merit you want to compare yourself with others doesn't count because grace brings instant equality and blessedness to us all. No matter our track record, no matter our income level, no matter our position in society. So when we come down to it, this passage gives us both encouragement and warning. First, you have been given immeasurable grace. And if you take that for granted and start to measure yourself based on merit instead of the grace and love of God, it will lead to prideful human ranking. Also says, encouragement also, if, if you're laboring and sacrificing in this, if you are working hard and sacrificing for the gospel, Jesus says you will be blessed in the next life. So maybe you're holding back because you are still functioning on human ranking levels. Well, if I sacrifice this in my life, where am I ranked? But what matters for Jesus is how you're ranked in the kingdom of heaven. And if you were to give things up like Peter did and leave and sacrifice things and lose things in order to follow Jesus in the kingdom, it says you will receive reward upon reward a hundredfold in the next life. So it's a great encouragement that what you do in this life is not in vain for Jesus. That Jesus will bless you in the next life. And finally, if you find yourself ranked lowly in this life, if you're like, man, I'm nothing. I'm poor. I'm this. I'm that. Here's a verse from James. It says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Let the lowly person, that's talking about human ranking. If you're like, I'm ranked lowly, the kingdom of heaven exalts you. If you're like, I'm last in this life, well, in the kingdom of heaven, you're first. You have great value and worth. Even if other people are saying you don't have great in value and worth because you haven't achieved this or you haven't done this or you aren't worth that, the kingdom of heaven doesn't operate on those rankings. And that's what really matters, isn't it? How the kingdom of heaven functions. It's an encouragement, but it's also a warning. So don't take your current position, your human ranking, for granted. So you may be measuring yourself against others, either religiously, socially, economically. Don't take it for granted. You may be ranked first, but in the kingdom of heaven, when the true rankings come, it won't matter. What I want to challenge you is to never take grace for granted. Because that's what leads to us going, hey, why is someone getting what they don't deserve? Because you have forgotten grace. You are a recipient of things you don't deserve. That is what grace is. You 
are the chief recipient of things that don't uh, that you don't you didn't bleh, you didn't earn eloquence ranked lower than you just so grudging what others receive we should focus with gratitude on the grace that we have received. So this is one of the few times where I'm going to say focus on yourself. Remember how much grace you have received. Remember how much you've received that you haven't earned. It will change how you treat people who fail you. It will change how you treat people who don't measure up in human rankings. It will change how you see all people. So the application of this is focus on yourself. How much grace have you received? And it will transform how you treat everybody else. No matter what class they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what they've done, how much grace have I received will transform how you treat your spouse, your children, your friends, your coworkers, any number of people. And we're citizens of the kingdom right now. There's coming a day where all our human rankings will expire. I say, let's start living in that now. Let's treat people, no matter who they are, as our equals. And that has as much to do with your heart and as how you treat them. There is no one who is lower than you because grace has colored all we see. And no one has received more grace than you you have received grace upon grace upon grace. And you have a blessed future in the kingdom of heaven because of grace. Let's pray.